This morning, we are going to be wrapping up our time in Luke 12. So we've spent the last couple of weeks in a passage in Luke 12, uh, as we have been talking about our Flourish Capital Campaign, right? Over the last two weeks, I've been sharing with you where we are in the Capital Campaign and uh, and inviting you to be part of it. Um, we're about halfway through our three-year capital campaign, just a little over halfway through. Our original goal was to raise $1.1 million, uh, which would pay off our building loan and uh, would also equip us to uh, support church planting and invest in mission. Uh, in 2019, when we launched it, we started really well. We had uh, about $820,000 pledged uh, in um, the fall of 2019. And, uh, and then, of course, the pandemic hit and everything got frozen in place. And so we haven't really talked about it a lot over the last year and a half. Uh, what's awesome is that people have remained faithful through this season. We've already had around $450,000 uh, given uh, toward the, the pledges. Um, and, uh, and that has allowed us to pay down the principal on the loan of our building. Uh, just to remind you why this is a priority for us, there are, there are four very good reasons why we made this a priority. First, it frees up money in our monthly budget, so the money we would, we would be sending to maintain that loan and to pay it off on a monthly basis would be freed up to be used for local ministry and to invest in the ministry needs of Trailhead. Secondly, we would save a whole ton of money on the interest, right? That's the benefit of paying off loans early is you actually save money you would have to spend in order to keep those monthly payments, right? We've already saved, and I don't remember the exact number, but we've saved um, a couple hundred thousand dollars over the life of the loan already simply by paying down the the uh, the the amount that we owe. Thirdly, it allows us to pay it forward to Converge, right? Because Converge holds our note. And so as we're paying off our loan, we're actually investing in Converge. Converge invested in us, right? Our first capital campaign gave us enough money to buy the building. Converge loaned us the money necessary to renovate it so that we could get into it right away. And um, and we renovated this thing from top to bottom, right? It was a, it was a major process. Um, and, uh, and as we pay this money back to Converge, they're going to be able to pay it forward to other small churches like us to equip them uh, to get into new buildings or to renovate their buildings or to advance the gospel in other ways. And, uh, and of course, finally, we do set aside 10% of, of everything we bring in specifically to advance the mission of the gospel. And so uh, as you give to our capital campaign, you are investing in our ability to be invested in the broader mission of the gospel, specifically in the area of church planting. So some critical numbers I've already shared. We've had about 105 family units or giving units um, uh, giving groups give to the capital campaign. Some of those are individuals, some of those are families, uh, but 105 uh, separate um, giving groups. Eight of them have already fulfilled their pledges, which is phenomenal and exciting. Um, we've had about 12 that have been confirmed that have had to withdraw their pledges for various reasons because of moving or job loss or other things like that. But we've had over 20 people who have jumped in and started giving to the capital campaign without making a pledge. And so um, if you've come after we've launched the capital campaign in 2019 and you weren't able to join us in this initial effort uh, or if the Lord has prospered you, in ways that you didn't predict in 2019, right? If if you gave a pledge in 2019 and, and God has unexpectedly uh, prospered you in ways through the pandemic and you're like, man, what felt sacrificial then honestly doesn't feel sacrificial now, 
today we're just going to invite you to join us um, in the sacrifice, right? Not and here's the thing: not just join us in giving, but join us in pledging. Um, it, the pledging piece is important, and and we'll talk a little bit about that. But we are blessed when we sacrifice to be a blessing to others, right? We are blessed when we give, not just from what we have left over, but from what we have, right? The, the measure of our blessing is often associated with the measure of our sacrifice. The more bought in we are, the more blessing we receive. I mean, that's just kind of the way it works, right? And so uh, we're going to be inviting you to be part of that blessing, right, by becoming part of the sacrifice. So today we're going to be coming to the climax of Christ's teaching, specifically on money in, in Luke 12. Um, we started out at the beginning three weeks ago looking at Christ's warning, right, when we began this uh, some random dude in, in his crowd jumped up and was like, hey, rabbi, tell my brother to share my inheritance with me, right? Uh, he was trying to get Jesus as a rabbi, um, a man of, of high honor in a shame-honor culture, to leverage that honor on his behalf, right? To, to give him a good word, because by giving him a good word, like, oh, yeah, your brother should, should split that inheritance with you, he could then manipulate that. He could use that to put pressure on his brother to get his brother to do with that money what he wanted, right? And of course, Jesus didn't, didn't play that game, right? He, he did not operate within that paradigm. Instead, he, he used it as an opportunity to one, kind of rebuke the guy, and then two, look at his disciples and say, all right, y'all, this is a good chance to give you a warning. You need to keep your eyes open. And you need to be on your guard. Because there's something really sneaky and something really dangerous here. And it's called covetousness. Right, You need to take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, right? against greed. And then he illustrated how that worked, um, how greed seduces us with promises of life and then never fulfills those promises, right? how greed makes grandiose promises to give us the fullness and flourishing of life, and, and yet it never does. It always falls short of its promises and breaks those promises, right? And then he spoke of the anxiety that drives greed and, uh, and actually increases greed, right? Uh, he, he talked about um, the anxiety we feel, not just that keeps us greedy, but the anxiety we're going to feel when we start releasing that greed, when we stop looking to our things to give us our security and, and to give us our significance, right? Um, and, and he's done it by inviting us to see that that we live in a world of God's abundance, not in a world of scarcity, right? That, that we don't become more secure by keeping what we have and getting more. We become more secure by relying on the God who provides our security. And so he's been doing a lot of admonishing, a lot of teaching. Some of it's been pretty confrontational. Today, Jesus shifts tones. And in our passage today, he's not primarily teaching and he's, and he's not primarily admonishing. He is comforting. He's comforting our fear. And inviting us to draw near, to experience true riches. So let's take a look at uh, Luke 12, verses 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so our passage begins, right? Jesus kind of comes out of the gate. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure, right? Fear not, little little flock. The tone here, I mean, there's just a definite difference in tone, right? He's no longer calling us fools. Uh, he, he is no longer saying, oh, you of little faith, admonishing us, right? He, he's now comforting us, right? Um, our passage begins with Jesus inviting us out of fear, right? Fear not, little flock. It's gentle. The tone is gentle. It's endearing, right? He, he's speaking to us as a, as a shepherd who cares for his little lambs, right? Um, and he's speaking to the fear that he knows grips our hearts. See, that's the thing is I think he's coming to us in compassion. Not because he identifies with that fear. He doesn't. But because he understands it. And he understands what it's doing to us. And he has pity on us. As, as we are writhing in this, what he considers to be completely irrational fear. This fear that is not based in reality at all. It's based in a misperception of reality. It's based in, a, in an understanding that we have to care for ourselves and provide for ourselves and fight for ourselves. And if we don't do it, nobody else will, right? This fear that keeps us running and anxious and exhausted. Fear not, little flock. He comes with sympathy. He comes with gentleness. He understands that fear is what drives our greed. I'm afraid of being exposed. I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of, of, of being seen as, as less important or insignificant or unworthy of love. I'm afraid, right? Fear causes me to keep what I have and get more. And, and then it, it not only is the foundation of greed, Right? It then feeds the greed because as I grow in fear, I grow in greed because the solution to greed is always what? Get a little more. Right? And so as I become more anxious, it just amps up the very, the very machine that is driving. So fear is the expression or uh, greed is the expression of fear, but then fear increases the behavior of greed because it just is this cycle of, of I have to get more and I have to keep it and, and I'm afraid of losing it. So I have to get more and I have to keep it and, and it just drives us, right? This nervous, restless energy of anxiety. To keep and to get. Where we're just continually looking around at the world and all we see are threats. Right? We're looking at, at man, we're looking at, at, at things that we could lose. Right? I've worked so hard to get this. And what if the market dips? And, and I've worked so hard to get this. And, and what, if, what if the economy changes? And I've worked so hard to get this. And, 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 and what about these people? Right? They might, they might ask for more than I want to give. These people might put demands on me I'm not comfortable having on me, right? So, so we start looking at threats in the market, threats in the economy, threats in, in, in our relationships, threats, because if, my, if I'm just driven by fear to keep and to get and to keep and to get, I'm afraid of anything that might reduce my ability to do that. Instead of seeing opportunities to love, I see threats to myself because I'm living in a world of scarcity instead of a world of abundance. Instead of a God who provides liberally, I live in a world that, man, I got a dog-eat-dog, man. I got to fight. 
If I'm going to protect myself, i got to fight. You put faith in your ability to scrap together what you need instead of in God's ability to provide. Jesus looks at us trapped in this cycle. Jesus looks at us with pity and He looks at us with sympathy and He says, Fear not, little flock. Fear not. I don't judge you for your fear. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not looking down on you. I see it. And I pity you. And in sympathy, I reach out to you. Fear not. A shepherd speaking to his frightened sheep, calming them, reassuring them, calling them out of this place, right? And what does he say at the end of the verse? He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Man, this is a remarkable sentence. It really is. It's like silly. It's so good. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? This statement is remarkable for a number of reasons. First of all, Jesus identifies God as the Father, which isn't completely foreign, but think about what it does. It puts, he's putting the framework in the structure of a family, right? He's not, he's not talking about God the all-powerful, although that's true. He's not talking about God the compassionate, although that's true. He's not, he's not talking about um, God um, the owner and possessor of, of all things, right? Although that's true. He's, he's focusing our attention specifically on God as a father. He's putting this framework of the family on this, right? God has many titles, but few titles are more personal than Father. It changes the dynamic. We're not just talking about a God who has incredible power. We're not talking about a God who has incredible resources. We're talking about an a God who relates to you as a father does to his child. And how does a good father relate to his child? With scarcity or with abundance? How does a good father relate to his child? With, with greed or with generosity? A good father delights in the flourishing of his child. A good father sacrifices joyfully for the benefit of his child, right? So he puts it in this framework of, of family. He's, and he's putting you and I in this unique relationship, right? Not just as sheep to a shepherd. Not just as creation to our creator. But as children to our father. And then he says, the father wants to give you the kingdom. The father's given you the kingdom, right? Not, not just the benefits of his kingdom. Not just a place in his kingdom. Right? He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom itself. Right? To actually give you a place of dominion, of power, of authority, to give you the kingdom. This is something we'd expect him to say to Jesus, not to us. 
Because God the Father gives the kingdom to the Son. We understand that. The Son, who is the Son of David, right? The Son of Man, the one who conquered death and overcame our sin and rose from the dead. Of course God would give him the kingdom. He is the rightful heir of the kingdom. He sits on the throne of the kingdom. And Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. But it's even more than that. It's the way he's going to give it. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not only is God your father, not only is he giving you the kingdom, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. A word that means it is his delight. It makes him smile to give you the kingdom. It brings him joy to give you the kingdom. Like a good father. He finds joy in enriching his children and giving them not just the benefits of the kingdom, but the kingdom itself. With its authority, its dominion, its power, its riches. Listen, follower of Christ, you are in Christ. You have no idea how you have been enriched. By believing in Him. You have not just secured the forgiveness of your sins through the work of His cross. You have received everything Christ has received. You are in Christ and in Christ you will receive the fullness of the kingdom. In Christ you will share the dominion of the kingdom. In Christ you have all the riches of the kingdom. In Christ God delights to see you exalted in the same way He delights to see His Son exalted. What is His is yours. I read a book this summer um, by a local pastor, a guy named Greg Johnson. He pastors a church in St. Louis. The book is called Still Time to Care. and um, It was a great book. Uh, I'll have a lot more to say about it later. It's actually still in pre-release, so it's not actually available yet. Uh, it'll be coming out, I believe, in December. Um, and it's specifically about how we as Christians engage um, gay followers of Christ. But we'll talk more about that later. That's not the point of the topic this morning. There was an illustration in this book that really struck me, and that's what I want to pull out of it. And I just want to, I didn't want to steal it. I wanted to let you know where I got it. So, so Greg Johnson uses this illustration of a guy who um, has fallen into bad times in business, right? He, he's struggling financially. And, um, uh, and, and, and all of his business risks went south, right? Some of you have experienced that before, <laughs> right? Because business requires you to take risk, right? That's, that's kind of the whole point. You have to take capital, you have to put it at risk, and your hope is that, is that you're making safe risks that are actually going to pay you dividends and rewards for that. And this businessman, man, everything just went south. He, uh, uh, he ends up own, owing a, a huge sum of money to the bank, and everything he tries to do to fix the problem only makes it worse. Right, and he's ex- filed extensions, and he has he has he has done everything he can, and he's to the point now where he's like avoiding his mail, 
And, and, um, and in this town, he is avoiding certain people because, of course, you develop relationships with your lenders and you develop relationships with, with um, uh, the local bank. And, and finally, he gets um, some official papers that tell him that he, that he must come into the bank. And so he shuffles on in, right? He, he uh, has this huge overdue loan that's being called in and so de- dejected and deflated. He comes into the bank and he, he sits in the, uh, in the waiting room and he studies kind of the, the, the linoleum floor and, and, you know, doesn't really want to make eye contact with anybody and, and nobody's really making eye contact with him. And finally a clerk calls his name and, and he comes, you know, up to the, the counter and, Clark's like, yeah, um, we've been expecting you and, and we need to have a conversation. We need you to go into this office. And they take him back into this kind of dingy little office and he sits in the office and, and, um, uh, and then the clerk comes in and, uh, a bailiff or I don't know, there's people, but anyway, they, they lead him back there and he's like, all right, this is it. This is where they're going to basically tell me how much I owe and, and what's going to happen to me if I default and all the rest of that. And, and the clerk comes in, shuffles some papers and, uh, without even looking at him, without even really making eye contact, um, says, look, yeah, there's been a mistake. There's, there's an error. Um, uh, and I just needed to let you know that it's a, there's a, there's been a, a problem with the paperwork. He's like, all right. He's like, um, yeah, I just, I, I just want you to know that, that, uh, it doesn't look like you owe anything. And the guy's like, that's not what I expected to hear. It's like, yeah, you, just don't even look up. He's like, all right, sign these papers, do this thing. So the guy's like in shock, right? He's like totally like mechanically, he signs the papers. And then the clerk gets up and leaves. The guy sits there for a little while like, all right, guess that just happened. I don't know what's happening. So he gets up and, and, and like without making any eye contact, he's still just like, I better get out of here, right? What's happening, right? So he gets out. And he, and he starts walking down the street and he can't get away fast enough, right? Like, like, if this is real, I need to get away before someone realizes they made a mistake and, and pull this thing back. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just need to, I need to get away. And, uh, and sure enough, somebody from the bank comes running after him, grabs his arm, says, hey, 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 no, 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 no. There's been a mistake. You need to come back. And he's like, I knew it, right? I just knew it. And so they drag him back to the, to the, to the bank and, and, uh, and this time, you know, the guy grabs him by the arm tightly and takes him through the lobby, back through all the business stuff, back to the elevator at the back, take him up to the top floor, lead him down this, this mahogany lined hallway. Everything's gotta be mahogany, right? If it's, if it's luxurious, you know that with me. Uh, and, and, and there's these, these painted portraits all over the walls, right? Of, of all the bank, uh, presidents and, and, and the benefactors and, and, and they're all like staring down on him as he's getting kind of dragged through this hallway and it's like a hall of shame for him and, and he finally goes to this, this office that is richly furnished with leather and, and of course it is, um, just the nicest office in the entire place and, and they seat him and, uh, and he's just sweating, right? Like now it's like great drops of perspiration. It would have been worse, but it's so much better if the clerk would have just said, man, you got to get this paid or you're going to go to jail or this is what we're going to do or, but no, now he's like, like in, in the epicenter of his shame. And, uh, and the person behind the desk looks him straight in the eye and says, all right, look, there's been a mistake. And he's like, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. He's like, the clerk was never supposed to let you go. 
they were supposed to bring you up here because we wanted you to know this is now all yours. Like, like everything is here is yours. And we needed to arrange that. We're going to make a public statement. We're going to be making some publicity. Uh, the artist is already in the next room. We're going to be painting your portrait to hang in the hallway. And the guy's like, absolutely dumbfounded. He's like, I don't, I don't even know how to process this. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Your office now, by the way, is, is uh, one floor up. And all of this is yours. So he leaves. And as he leaves and he's trying to process this, let me, let me just ask you this. How is your perspective different leaving than coming? How is your perspective different leaving the second time than the first time? Where it felt like you were forgiven potentially, but you were just afraid it was going to be taken back? Like, how do you even process that kind of grace? How do you even process that kind of, of, of unexpected change? What if he left unwilling to believe it? What if he just was convinced it was all a prank? That he was being punked? That there was no way a guy like him could ever receive a gift like that? And so he left... And even though he had access to all of this great wealth, he never accessed it. Even though he had access to all of this great honor, he never lived in it. He continued skimping and scraping and fighting. Never accessing it because he was sure that it wasn't really his. See, the issue at that point wouldn't be whether or not he had the great wealth. The issue would be whether or not he believed he had it. If he would believe it and simply receive it, of course, we can imagine that it would release his anxiety, right? That, that he would no longer be driven by this need to prove himself, to protect himself, to, to lift himself by his own power. All right, so as weak as that illustration is, I honestly think that's us. We are walking around often forgiven by Christ, but walking around like that's all we've received is, is, and it's maybe a mistake, <laughs> right? All the negative stuff's been removed, I hope, but I doubt any of the positive stuff's been given to me. Like I've been forgiven, but have I been accepted? My guilt has been paid for, but have I been enriched? Like, yeah, Jesus died and rose again for my sins. But do I now get to walk in the benefit of that resurrection? Me? Me? It's not whether or not we have it. It's whether or not we believe it. Because we walk by faith. And if we put our faith in the wrong thing, we walk in the wrong direction. Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Little sheep, don't be afraid. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you understand what a profound statement that is? How profoundly good it is, not just in the general sense for general humanity, but for you. 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is the natural result of this good news? Take a look at verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. (laughs) Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Um, Yeah, pause. Let me ask you this. How much would you have to have in order to feel secure doing this? How much would you have to have to feel secure actually doing this? Like not just saying, oh yeah, that's Jesus talk. Jesus sometimes, you know, he gets a little weird. I like him all, but, but ah, sometimes he's a little too extreme for me, right? Sell your possessions and give what you have to the poor, to the, to the needy. How much would you have to have to feel secure doing this, right? Go sell all your stuff, put the money in a bag, and then go give it away. And you're like, Steve, come on, man. You know that's a trick question because you could never have enough. If you're Jeff Bezos and you go sell everything you have and put the money in a bag and give it away, how secure are you? It doesn't matter how much you have if you give it all away. You could never have enough to do this if you find your security in what you have. If your faith is in what you can keep and what you can get, you will never be able to obey this command. Because this command nullifies the entire paradigm of keeping and getting. You could never have enough to provide you security if you have to give it away. Listen, the only way you could even do this, the only way you could even consider doing this is if you were freed from your need to find security in what you have. Like that wasn't even your paradigm for finding security. That's not even how you see life. Like, like you have been delivered from looking at what you can keep and what you can get to give you significance or security or to buy you rest or, or, or to give you what you need. The only way you could ever do this is if the money that was in that bag wasn't your only wealth. And in fact, wasn't even your true wealth. If the money that was in that bag wasn't your source of security. Take a look at the rest of the verse, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Provide for yourself Heavenly money bags. (laughs) Provide for yourself a fundamentally different kind of wealth. Provide yourself with a paradigm for security that is completely different than what this world tells you you need for security. Provide for yourselves. You already have it. That's kind of the irony of this. When he says provide for yourselves, he's, he's not saying you need to go earn it. He's not saying you've got to go win it. He's not saying you've got to go fight for it. He's saying you just need to start living it. 
right? You already have it. Start experiencing it. So stop leaning into your greed and start leaning into generosity. Stop leaning into your ability to keep and to get and start leaning into God's ability to provide. Put your trust in God instead of yourself. Lean into His provision instead of your own. Because where you put your trust is where you put your treasure. Because you will, at the end of the day, put your faith in what you think is faithful. This is an issue of faith. What do you think is actually going to provide you security? What do you think is actually going to provide you significance? What do you think is actually going to deliver you into an experience of rest? Is it what you have or the God who's given you what you have? It's either going to be your money and your ability to provide for yourself or your God and his commitment to provide for you. So when you push against the deceit of greed, you start getting freed into the reality of grace. Provide for yourselves. He's challenging us to push into this paradigm, to reject the lie and start pushing into the truth, to reject the the worldly short-sightedness of greed and start pushing into the abundance of grace. He's exposing the central lie of worldliness that keeps us ensnared and enslaved to what we have and to what we can own. This lie that, that you have to find what you need here. You have, you have to find what you need in this world and in the things of this world. He's offering us an invitation of the gospel to find our joy, to find our security, to find our significance. Not in what we have, but in the God who gives it. It's a fundamentally different way of looking at the world. My money is no longer my treasure. My money is a tool to be used in service to my true treasure. Money is not a fortress that provides protection. It's a tool in service to the God who is provider of my protection. My money is not the measure of my significance. It is a means of sharing the goodness of life with others in honor of the God who who provides for my significance. It's an incredible invitation. It's like, put it to test, man. Put it to the test. Grow your faith by testing God's faithfulness. Grow your experience of grace by pushing against your greed. Stop living like this stuff over here is true. That you can actually get the fullness and flourishing of life through what you have. Stop living in an insane paradigm that never delivers on its promises. Have the courage to live by faith. To actually expose the lie and to live in the reality of truth. 
What's so cool about this is that it's true whether you put it in practice or not. Right? Don't be like the guy who's been given everything but walks away unwilling to believe it. The guy who lives in poverty even though he's rich. The guy who lives in shame even though he's covered in glory. The guy who is living under the driving anxiety of needing to get and to keep even though he has all he could ever ask for. Jesus is saying, man, this is true, so live like it. Push into it. Live it, right? Verse 34. For your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, after calming our fears and, 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 and speaking to us affectionately and intimately and inviting us near and then giving us the promise of grace, right? He tells us, man, this is already yours. It's the Father's delight to give you the kingdom. Right? Showing us what freedom looks like, right? Stop being owned by what you have and start stewarding what you have for the good of, of others, for God's glory and, and for others' good, right? Now he reminds us that the underlying principle is fundamentally true, right? That where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And implied there is a choice that we need to make. Because you can't have two treasures. Because you can't have two hearts. You can't have both. See, that's the lie of materialism. And honestly, the lie of Western materialism. That is the lie that we're faced with every single day in America. You can have both. You can have the best of both worlds, man. You can pursue money and God. You can look for wealth to provide your security and your significance and your rest. And you know what? You can also have God. You can love both. Right? And Jesus reminds us again and again that that also is a lie. You can't have both because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Choose carefully. Because you can't have two treasures. You can't love both money and God. You can't look both to the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of your Father for security. You can't look both to the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of your Father for significance. You can't look both to the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of your Father to experience rest. Because those are competing kingdoms. One is a kingdom of truth and life, and the other is the kingdom of deceit and death. These are opposing fortresses of security. One's about what you have, the other is about what you've been given. These are opposing sources of control. One is about trusting yourself, and one is about trusting your father. Having enough that you don't need to be dependent, and one and the other is about joyfully pushing into dependence. One keeps you in the center where you can say, this is mine. And the other keeps God in the center where you say, everything I have has been given to me. How would you have me use it for your glory? Where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. And listen, where your heart is, your feet will follow. Always. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your heart is, there your feet are going to follow. You will fight to protect your heart. Because it's the seed of your identity. It's your true treasure. And you're going to find there's going to come a point where you have to choose. In fact, it comes every single day. Of course, we're confronted all the time with the choice. But you need to realize you're actually walking down a path. You're not standing stationary between two points. Because where your heart is, your feet will follow. And you are moving in one direction or the other. And so we end where we started. With this final revelation of this principle, Jesus is once again kind of reminding us, man, what he set up in verse 15, right? Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Keep your eyes open. Guard your hearts. This is sneaky and this is dangerous. The only safe place to be is pushing into generosity in order to put to death your greed. The only safe place to be is continually pushing into love to put to death your self-interest. The only safe place to be is continually pushing into your faith in God to discover again and again His faithfulness, to expose the lies that want to enslave you in fear, to push into your faith in Christ in order to push against your faith in yourself. All right, there are a thousand ways every single day to do this, to push into faith instead of into fear, to push into generosity instead of into greed. Um, and, and the Spirit will highlight those for you as you simply try to put this into practice in your life. But I want to give you one specific way to do this this morning, and that is by inviting you to join us in our capital campaign. If you're already giving, I just want to say thank you. Right? Some of you made a commitment in 2019 and, and you're still giving and, and, and I just, I want to thank you for that and just encourage you to stay faithful. Right? Keep, keep giving. For some of you, it's going to get hard. Pandemic hard, economy hard, unexpected expenses around the house hard, right? You might find that you had prayed about it and you picked a number and, and then, man, it's just really, really hard to stick to that number. And I would encourage you, man, uh, if it gets hard, um, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't walk away just because it becomes challenging. Often the Lord allows it to become hard because our faith grows when we have to test His faithfulness. If we're giving out of a place of comfort, if we're giving from a place of what's left over, that doesn't grow our faith because we're never testing God's faithfulness. We feel like we're actually doing God a favor. It's a little bit like leaving a tip. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, okay, this is a nice thing to do, and I'm sure you'll be grateful for it. When we give in a way that's actually sacrificial, when we give in a way that is actually hard, that challenges us, it forces us to push into the faithfulness of God to grow our faith. So, so if it gets hard, man, just know that if it were easy, it wouldn't grow your faith, right? Your faith grows as it experiences the faithfulness of God. So if you hit the eject button, just because it starts getting hard, you're ejecting from the process right when it's getting good. When God is going to start doing some of the deepest work in you as a result of, of your step of faith. So stick with it, right? Stick with it. That's my encouragement to you. If you've already fulfilled your gift, I want to say thank you. I know some of you have made significant sacrifices to fulfill your pledge. 
I had to fulfill it early. And, and I don't take that lightly in any way. Um, I know that some of you are going to, to be working through that sacrifice for years to come, honestly, um, because the sacrifice really was significant for you to, um, to pay off that pledge early. Uh, the only thing I would ask is, is that you ask God if he would have you to contribute more because some of you were able to pay off your pledge early because God unexpectedly prospered you, and that's great. So I'm just asking you to ask God, right, if he would have you to contribute more. If you're new here, uh, I'm asking you to jump in with us and give with us, right, in this shared sacrifice so that you can share in, in the blessing. Um, because this is way more than about just paying off a building loan, right? That's going to be the end result, praise God, but, but this is about creating a culture of generosity. One of the reasons I love working through seasons like this, it's not about the financial goal. The financial goal is important, and it's worthwhile, and, and we're doing something real with our shared efforts. But I have found that as we as a community push into that sacrifice, man, it just shapes our culture in a way that's beautiful, it changes who we are, and we all benefit from a culture of generosity um, as we together push against the, the encroaching uh, snare of, of greed. And so I would be asking, I would ask those of you who came since 2019, who weren't able to or just um, didn't join us in that uh, original pledge to, to jump in with us. Um, there are booklets around the room. Uh, we had those out last week, and, and if you grab one of those booklets, it will tell you a little bit more about our, our capital campaign, what we're doing, why we're doing it, um, our goal for raising the money, all the rest of it. There's a handy sheet at the back that helps you understand a little bit about how you can, how you can even determine how much to give, right? Um, we often uh, uh, think that, that what we give is sacrificial because it hurts. Um, but sometimes it just hurts because we're really, really greedy. <laughs> and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing, but it gives you a little bit of comparison, right? It just shows you how much you spend every year on coffee, how much you spend every year on your entertainment, how much you spend every year, just to give you some numbers for comparison to help you as you're praying and thinking to think about, all right, Lord, how much would you have me give? What what would be a faithful way to engage, right? So grab it and, and then just pray about it. We're not telling you how much to give. We're not even telling you have to. We're just asking you to pray about it. Ask the Lord if he would have you to be part of this sacrifice to share in this blessing, right? Uh, and then we would ask you to pledge. On the front of the booklet, there is a, a card, and on that card is, is actually a way to commit and to pledge. And we would ask you to fill that out and let us know if you're doing it. Now, of course, you can give to the capital campaign without pledging, but there's real value in pledging. One, it lets us know that that gift is coming in and allows us to adjust our numbers. But two, it, it serves you. You guys know that sometimes you can make a goal, and if you never tell anybody about that goal, it's really easy to kind of let it go when things get tough, right? Community helps us, right? And that's that's a just a true principle, right? So as you share that goal with us, as you share that pledge with us, you are, in a sense, inviting community in to help you stay faithful to your step of faith, right, to move toward it. Now, of course, if something comes up and you can't fulfill your pledge, there's no shame, right? We don't judge anyone. We're not like, like we celebrate with everyone, every step of faith. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's really just about seeking to bring community in, um, because it benefits you as you fill out that pledge card and it benefits us as we, as we plan and, and adjust our, uh, numbers.
Okay, uh, So we'd love for you to return that pledge card. If you're going to do that, we would ask for you to do it as soon as possible. Now, we'll be receiving those over the next three weeks, but if you can turn it in next week, that would be awesome. All you got to do is come in and drop it in the uh, in the silver bucket. If you're um, uh, away, you can uh, are online, feel free to, to email us at info or to, um, uh, to mail us a pledge. Um, but we'd love for you to do that next week if you can. I am letting you know that next week we're shifting gears, okay? We're going to stay in the Harvest of Grace sermon series, but we're going to be shifting gears. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking not at an invitation for you to be generous, but I want you to see some of the ways your generosity is a blessing to others. We're going to be talking about church planting, and we're going to be talking specifically about our history of church planting and how Trailhead has been deeply involved in this and why we're so committed to it, right? Why we measure our success not by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. Why we're committed to keep giving away our best, right? Giving away our finances, giving away our people, giving away our best leaders. Why do we do this silly stuff? So that's what we're going to be looking at as we get into the next couple of weeks, because I want to invite you into the celebration and invite you in uh, to just this movement of generosity that is at the heart of the gospel. All right, let me close this in word of prayer this morning.